all within me, all right. within me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's like, I always try to bring it, try to make it more universal, you know, and not just about me, but like, I think for some reason it was important to me and maybe still is like, you know, where exactly do I fit into the world? Who am I exactly? And, um, but I think I'm just getting more comfortable with everyone's living their own life and focused on their own lives anyway. And I am very comfortable for the most part with who I am now and all my shades. And as you, as you probably are, and we're, you know, there's no, luckily we went through those earlier struggles as opposed to now. This is Unconditioning, discovering the voice within with Whitney and Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week I have with me Matt Reichling. Matt is a singer-songwriter, a small business owner, a traveler, and an author of his new book, Almost Weightless, which is a collection of essays about his self-discovery and self-reflection and travels, finding his way through life. And Matt also happens to be a friend of mine, so I absolutely wanted to support him in this endeavor already. But then after reading the book, it was something that I needed in my life exactly at that moment. And it was very synchronistic. And so that is a big theme between Matt and I. We're the kind of friends who, when we get together, we immediately dive into deep topic conversations and leave the small talk to the side. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Matt and I as we dive deep into his memoirs. He has some really fascinating stories of his travels from Italy to living in Echo Park and Los Angeles to living on a boat to going to Cuba and Mexico and even his current location where he's based now in the Bay Area. There's some insightful and profound wisdom tales to take away from there also. I encourage everyone who listens to grab a copy of Matt's book um, because we can talk about the stories, but his writing style and his humor and the way that he comes upon discoveries with himself within his writing is really something that ought to be experienced. So without further explanation, here is our conversation. Enjoy. Speaking of like synchronicities, I feel like your book came into my life at a time when I really needed it because I'm at a crossroads. I've got a lot of forks coming up and (laughs) within that, I have a lot of decisions to make about my life. And along with that is comparing my life to other people and their paths and like where I am in comparison to that. Um, And so I've lived my life very differently than the traditional kind of life path as have you. And Mm -hmm. so you, like, sharing your story and me, like, just being able to dive into that allowed me to accept that I'm on a different path and that Mm -hmm. I don't have to know all the answers and I don't have to, like, be at a certain point at any certain time and that every experience is valid and it's okay. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. The first question that I usually ask people to start off just to like get a little psychological about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive back into your childhood because that's where everything starts. 
I can't do it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we can't go there. And okay. and maybe this doesn't even Go start speak. in your childhood. Some people it may not like be clear no, I get it. until later on in their life. Yeah. Um, but when was the first time that you realized that you had an inner voice or an inner knowing or this intuition that you were guided by? And it wasn't influenced by your parents or your school or your environment. But you knew that this was you and it wasn't influenced by anything else. I love the question. And I would probably say that by the time I got to high school, I was always associated with a group. I mean, like most people growing up anywhere, you're either, you know, you're in one of the groups, right? For the most part, whether you're a skater or you're a jock or a goth or a theater kid or whatever. So I was kind of more um, sports kid friendly with everybody but to answer your question i started to notice in high school i preferred to step out of my group Mm -hmm. my social group and just talk with everybody so i would hang out with the stoners i would hang out with the goth kids and 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 they seemed to like my energy and they knew i was friendly i didn't have an agenda and i wasn't just you know just a typical sports kid um there was a a curiosity there with other people and i think i realized that I enjoyed living that way for the first time, as opposed to always clutching on to my, you know, handful of friends. And I think when, when I realized that I, I kind of get along with everybody for the most part, um, that I wanted my life to continue in that direction. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to as many people as I could and learn about as many experiences as I could. And I think I continued doing that and I'm doing it to this day. So um, I hope that, you know, answers your question, but it also leads to an artistic voice, which, which happened in college when a a girl named Jessica while she was my neighbor in college, introduced the guitar, the guitar to me. I didn't play until I was like 20. Um, But then the artistic voice came through with the guitar pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I think I bridged the like to talk to everybody, like to play music, and that turned into storytelling. And now this book is storytelling. Right. So I like I like to tell stories. And you can only do that if you talk to a lot of people, right? <laughs> I mean, can you relate to that? Can you you seem like a person that talks to everybody? No. Yes. Um, I was Mm -hmm. very similar to you at school. I didn't have a specific group that I belonged to. I kind of bounced around. Uh, I mean, I grew up in West Virginia. And so my ideals were not necessarily accepted maybe as easily as they would have been somewhere else because I was like writing essays on gay rights and like gun control before it was cool. In West Virginia. In West Virginia. So. They didn't, they didn't uh, expel you or anything? They didn't, but uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe that was why I didn't really have a group that I belonged to. <laughs> yeah. So I, I relate to also like picking up the guitar later on in life. And <laughs> I, I started playing guitar because it was a way for me to write songs about my life to deal with things that I was going through. And so what was it that inspired you to pick up the guitar and start writing songs? Wow. Um well, I, I never had a pre-thought of doing that. And it was pretty much random chance 
to have a neighbor that I liked as a friend who was, she was playing talking heads in her room. You know, it was in the dorms actually. And I love talking heads. So we just got to talking. But when I, when I started playing it, picking up the chords quickly, wrote a, a song quickly. You, what would you, I'm sorry. Your question was what excited me about it. Could you repeat or, the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, you asked a good question and I forgot. Yeah, I mean, since I was so- going there. We're focused on storytelling. Right. And so what inspired you to start writing songs? Was it the guitar in particular that seemed to be a tool that enabled you to get right. there? Or did you write for poetry sure. for... when you were a kid? Like, how did that connect for you? Okay, I love it. I love it because I'm thinking about it now. I did. I was. I definitely, I wrote a screenplay and I still have this thing. And when I, if I'm going to make it, even if it's even if it bankrupts me in the future, it's called Zebra. So that, and it's a very imaginative, playful, whimsical thing. And so I did that before I learned the guitar. And for some reason, your question made me think of this. The the first time I think I ever wanted to present a story in front of anyone, talent show, let's put ourselves in this moment. Talent show, I believe it was third or fourth grade, my friend Joel Milhouse, who was a country kid, very kind of quiet and kind of stern cowboy hat, cowboy boots. I just liked his cowboy vibe. And I said, we're going to write a play. We're going to do it. We're going to do a play. <laughs> and we so we wrote a play. It was called New Year's Eve. And um, this was the whole play. And we were the two actors. And I just think it's I, I still smile thinking about this. But uh, so I'll just cut to the, the scene of full auditorium curtains open one table joel is my father who's kind of a like a 50s non-emotional mm-hmm. you know kind of alcoholic but you know we're not we're not you know claiming that in, a, in an elementary school play but you know that typical 50s father mm-hmm. and i'm the excitable son who wants to connect with the father okay. right and this doesn't mirror my life me and my dad had a pretty good relationship but i wanted there to be a dramatic father-son moment at a table, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no props, maybe a couple cups or something. And, I, and this is the whole play. It lasted like a minute. I said, Dad, it's New Year's Eve. Are you excited? And then he kind of kind of mumbled something because he was a gruff character. And I go, okay, here it's coming. Here it comes. And then we count down 10 all the way to one. I go, happy new year. And I throw some confetti and I look at him and he's totally like silent and cold and then curtain, you know, <laughs> that was the play. And I, and, and as I got older, I thought that was kind of like a Sam Shepard play, right. you know, <laughs> like just men that can't communicate. And, and so that, that happened when I was 10. So wow. there, there were stories within me that I wanted to share. I don't know why I picked that one, but I, it should have got a Pulitzer. You know, I quite frankly, so. I, I wish that so. I could have been there to see that. <laughs> I literally, I, I remember the applause was barely audible. Like there was nothing but stunned silence, I think. <laughs> yeah. And the follow up was a, a, a really sweet girl with a leotard, you know, kind of a heavier girl. And she was doing uh, dancing, a freestyle dance to Borderline by Madonna. <laughs> So she stole the show. She won first prize and our play was never heard from again. Oh, um, well. Yeah, but she did great. Yeah. That's very sophisticated of you as a 10-year-old. So <laughs> I think so. I think it is. So did your family 
growing up, were they, did they introduce you to like film and art and storytelling or how did that come about? You know what? My parents, they were into some good music, some cheesy music, but some good music like Motown. And they were, they were, they're, you know, liberal and showed me some things, but I will have to say that my biggest cultural influence growing up were, came from my aunt and uncle who still live in town. And they were the, the couple that would take me in the car around the same age that I wrote the Sam Shepard play and take, take me to the movie theater to see like Baghdad Cafe. I, I don't know if you ever saw that movie back in like, I think it was the late eighties or mid eighties, like black and white art film that totally confused me, but excited me. And they would take me to a circus, like a funky art, arty circus, not a typical circus, just expose me to different things, take me to museums. And so I would say they were the biggest influence on me in terms of uh, a, a, a different worldview, different, you know, mm-hmm. like weird arty things. Yeah. And that's not to knock my parents. I think with my parents, they had a formula that that worked for them. They didn't come from much. So they, they had they were a team together. Right. It was all about working their jobs and moving forward. They didn't have time to like, you know what I mean, to to to, to really focus on taking me to funky cultural things, quite frankly. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't yeah. in their, their wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they appreciate stuff like that. But 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 my aunt and uncle to this day, uh, me and my aunt go to the De Young Museum in San Francisco once a year to see new exhibits. And so we, we have that bond like that. Nice. Yeah. It's good to have that um, influence in your life. For sure. Yeah. And so I want to get into your book a little bit. Cool. Um, because that's why we're here, uh, ultimately. <laughs> right on. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, like I said, it, it, it was really resonant for me. And it starts off when you're in Italy, correct? Right, if, right. If, I, I'm, if yes. I remember right. Siena, Italy, yes. Yeah, and so you have family roots there. Yes, yes. So how did that decision come about of you to go explore Italy? Was that always something within your family that interested you? Or like, how did that yeah. opportunity come about? So basically, we all know people who do the year abroad, right? Maybe, did you do a year abroad? I did. I was an au pair in Italy, so it was a little different. Okay, that takes care of babies. Is that what that means? Well, I taught kids English, like yeah. during like during the day, and then I had my evenings and weekends completely free. Nice. And so I had a lot of adventures too. So nice. I I relate I relate to your book on many levels. Right on. <laughs> no, I love that. I love it. Well, so yeah, to answer your question, like uh, which I'm always trying to do because you're the interviewer and I'm answering questions. Sorry, just some meta commentary there. It's okay. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't, I went to UCLA. I didn't love UCLA the first couple of years. It, it was, I had some friends. I was proud to be there, but I felt like it was too big. And I felt like a number, you know, as all, as many colleges can make you feel like right. these days. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to change, to have a different experience, do something different. So the year abroad thought popped up and then I'm half Italian and we do have relatives there and uh, outside of Luca, Italy mm-hmm. and they're still alive today. And, and that, that, that bond was not super strong. And I wanted, I had this idea like, Hey, maybe I could go to Italy. I'll try my best to learn 
the language as best I can before I leave. So I took some Italian at school and I threw myself into the year for Siena, then Bologna. And it was, I mean, uh, I mean, the best thing I ever did because I, I had just learned guitar. So now I'm over there with a guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm growing my hair out and I'm meeting people from different colleges and you're in Europe. I mean, everybody knows this when you're, when you're young in Europe, it's, it's like a ro romantic novel, yeah. you know, no matter what happens, it's just unbelievable. Um, so the main thing was change up my destiny from UCLA and try something different and then reconnect with the Italian roots. And also I loved the Italian language, uh, the sound of it, the, the cultural, everything about it. And it was just an adventure. I knew that I wanted that and I did it and it completely changed my life. So um, I don't know what would have happened had I not gone on taken that year. That is right. Do you remember what it felt like when you first stepped onto the land? Wow. Okay. In, in Italy. In Italy. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember what I'm going to go like? back? I'm going to go back to that right now because yeah. I love that question. Um, well, I'm, let me tell you something that I think is um, fun. before getting to Italy, I met this girl named Tali, mm -hmm. who's a very uh, successful kind of producer person in New York um, for fashion magazines and whatnot. So, but we met in Amsterdam at airport, airport only, before getting our flight, same flight to Italy, which will lead to your question. But we were like so excited we're in this airport and we're like drink, drinking beers and jumping up and down i mean we're like total dorks you know and we buy an italian newspaper we can't read any of it you know we think we're cool like we're suddenly italian all of a sudden anyway we get we uh i'm trying to think where the plane landed it landed in venice oh yeah so venice okay and I can't say that I remember the, the actual foot on the ground, but here's what we all know. Within like minutes, you're, you're looking in a canal. Okay. And anybody that, you know, for the millions of people all around the world that have had this, this experience, it's spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. Almost. You cannot believe it's real. Mm -hmm. And once I, you know, minutes after the plane and then a bus, quick bus to now we're in Venice, walking down those steps out of the station and looking at the grand canal i literally felt like i was in a dream like this is a whole this is a dream now i am now living a dream and then then we got you know sat at a, a generic tourist place you know and but cigarettes we didn't even smoke cigarettes um getting charged way too much because we're dumb tourists uh, looking in the grand canal that was the first moment of a new like era new chapter for yeah. me yeah, I, I remember um, a moment in Italy where like I felt like I had never felt that alive before in my life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, a, I don't even know how to explain it, but yeah. 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 Well, it's also so I've, I'm sure many people have an experience like this in different European countries or, but it, it's one of the most energizing countries. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, I mean, <laughs> the gestures, the yelling, the activity, the, the, the motorini, all of it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's what it just jolts you into reality, yeah. a new reality. Like even like the tones of the sun, I feel like. OK. Like wow. OK. I like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It made me think of a Thomas Kincaid painting or something <laughs> like that. <Yeah. laughs> With a bubbling brook nearby and a cabin with the, yeah. <laughs> with the chimney smoking. Totally. So in your year in Italy, how did that... So, so when you're in a foreign country and the language is not like your first, I feel like you have to kind of like tune into your inner wisdom and your intuition to kind of navigate it, right? So did you feel that you connected more with your intuition during those moments? Or how did that affect your voice? Did you feel that your connection with your intuition got stronger during that point? Or how did that affect your, your inner voice? Wow. I would say um, it took me it took me a few months. I, I think most people would, would say that, although I can't speak for anybody. But, you know, I, I went we went a group of us went to Siena and we were in this protective bubble, you know, and uh, we didn't have chaperones, but we were we didn't really leave the general area much. Um, and we, we always had resources and talk, teachers to talk to and things like that. When we went to our cities where we were going to be for the year, someone to Padova, someone to Venice, and I went to Bologna. That's when everything changed where it was like sink or swim, uh, you know, chin up. This is some serious shit. Like this is a real situation, you know? And so inner voice kicked in then. It was more like, you. I remember telling myself, you can do this. Uh, it's a little scary. You need to find a place. Um, you might, you know, roommates might, that roommate situation might be a little, you know, unpredictable early. And it was like, you know, there was, there were three guys right away. I jumped in and Bologna moved in with three Italian guys and two of them were cool. One of them did not like me. And he was a plumber from Puglia oh. and he, he like Popeye. We ended up being friends later, but for for weeks and months, he would just look at me and like, give me that look like you spoiled American. Like you get to, and we actually had, we had a night, we got through all this, but we had, there was a night where he was like, um, you know, I bust my ass all day. I think I came home drunk. You know what I mean? We, we were 20 years old. We're right. coming home from a, from a bar. And uh, he's like, you know, I bust my ass all day. I'm a plumber. You know, I'm proud of what I do. And you're this American over here. You're getting drunk. You know, you barely go to class. You know, like stuff. <laughs> And I did. There's nothing I could say. It was more like, you're right. Like, I didn't defy him. I, I tried my best to say, I have respect for you. And um, how am I supposed to respond to that? You know, I mean, you're like 10 years older than me and you're a plumber and you're working 12 hour days. That's not my reality right now. So to answer your question, it was like I pulled myself up by my bootstraps early. And I think I got used to um, the struggles because, you know, there were arguments. I keep going back to the roommate thing, but, you know, when you're living with, mm -hmm. with people and it's a, I'm learning the language, there was one night and, and I, I, I support them for doing this because I, there was one night where I, uh, I was told you got to wash, make sure, remember to wash your dishes, right? right. We're all in this together, small right. apartment. I go, totally, I get it. And I would usually do a good job of that. I was a respectful roommate, but I came home. I was kind of drunk. I remember looking at some dishes and I, you know, and I said, ah, fuck it. And I went to bed. Right. So then I woke up, went to class, did my thing, came back and on my bed were all the dirty dishes. Right. Mm -hmm. So they had dumped all the dirty dishes on my bed. 
And my friend, my Luca, who was one of the nice guys, he was like, I told you. I mean, what did you expect yeah. to happen? You know, I, I get it. And I remember I actually had to walk to the balcony and like, I think I cried for like, <laughs> for like a minute. Just for like a minute. I'm like, okay, you know, I get it. I, I, I screwed up. Um, I can handle this. So little things like that. You're away from home. You can't call. You know what I mean? Like you're on your own. So just you got to navigate these situations. You know? Right. Yeah. I, I can relate to that very much. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the inner voice thing? I think the inner voice kicked in, though, for survival right. purposes, I would say, you know? Yeah. Which helps a person grow, right? I mean, when you're uncomfortable in a foreign place. Yes. And I think it like forces you to connect with a different aspect of yourself that you might not be able to access at all times if you're in yes. a comfortable place, right? So because there's a saying, I, agree. I, I forget who said it, but like if you can't meditate travel because to like get out of your mind, to get out, out of, of your mind, yeah. So that you can find yeah. stillness. Yeah. Okay. So you're in Italy, we're there for a year, and then you come back to the US to finish at UCLA? Yes. Yes. And what were you studying there? So I ended up being an Italian. I was undecided up to that point. And I got a degree in Italian language and culture because I had so many units from Italy that I could just apply. And um, so that was the focus. So academically, it was fun. And we read Dante. We watched Fellini movies. I mean, we, you know, it was like a dream. And the, the department was very small. Um, but not to get ahead of anything you may or may not ask, but I actually did fall into my first pretty deep depression. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm not that I try to define myself by that, by that at all, you know, but it's because it's been a, a somewhat of a pattern in my life at times, yeah. not, not in the last few years. I feel like I've kind of kicked, kicked it in a way yeah. or I can stay above the water now. But the point being is, coming after that massive experience, which I know a lot of people can relate to. I came back and was like, I can't believe I'm back into the same thing right now. Like this can't be, you know, I was grateful, but I was like too much has changed now. Right. And uh, so that kicked off some struggles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I can relate to that too. Yeah. Like taking that experience and then coming back to Los Angeles and that life. Yeah, it's hard to like translate what you experienced into like what you are coming back to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I but I also know that that I'm not totally unique. Like you said, you could relate to that. Anybody mm-hmm. coming back from that right. experience. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, and just I'm only mentioning this because we're you know you've invited me on here. Is <laughs> like the reason why it was double for me, double right. intense. Right. Was the sexuality thing again? It was like kicking it hard. It was like. Mm-hmm look, you know, you're bisexual, you're gay, you're probably more gay than bisexual. You know, I was like, what are you? What are you? What are you? Which nobody needs to do anymore. Like you could be whatever the fuck you want now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, people still struggle with, I, with uh, definition, of course, but I think I was just hammering myself with, you need to decide everything now, uh-huh. you know, right when I came back, which was like, nobody cares about you de- defining yourself right now. Stop it. You know? So that was that struggle kicked in hard after that year. But it seemed like you cared about it. Oh, I d- absolutely. Yeah. I did. Yes. It was all within me. 
all right. within me. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's like, I always try to bring it, try to make it more universal, you know, and not just about me, but like, I think for some reason it was important to me and maybe still is like, you know, where exactly do I fit into the world? Who am I exactly? And, um, but I think I'm just getting more comfortable with everyone's living their own life and focused on their own lives anyway. And I am very comfortable for the most part with who I am now and all my shades. And as you, as you probably are, and we're, you know, there's no, luckily we went through those earlier Mm -hmm. uh, struggles as opposed to now. Right. You know? Because I, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, um, maybe a midlife crisis is when that kind of thing happens. But as a storyteller too, I think that when you tell your stories more intimately, you can reach people on a deeper level universally. So I don't think you need sure. to like zoom out as much because I feel I like- I know, that's yeah. that's a defensive mechanism <laughs> that you recognized. So that's, yes, you're right. I should, I need to like stick with my my story and, and nurture that's, it. That's and, not like a criticism, but I'm just- No, I know what you mean. Giving you room to talk more intimately because people will connect with it. Oh, I, I know. And that, I, I'm recognizing in this whole process, having never written a book before and sharing stories that are personal, that's a knee-jerk reaction for me as I'm as, as, um, I'm wanting it to be universal, but it's also about me. So I need to be okay with it. I am okay with it being about me, but I, I also, it's okay if, I, if we talk about me for yeah, it's okay. an extended period of time <laughs> like we're doing now. And it's, it's not me being selfish. It's no. not me being self-important. Because everybody has their story, and that was kind of what I wanted. Hopefully, that idea came across in the book as well. Absolutely. That, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All all of your your mini stories have a larger story that goes and interweaves into the web of your stories, which is really cool. I love like, that. Thank and, you. And I feel like that happened very organically and naturally, and it doesn't feel forced. And and so. Like, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about your stories in your book if you want to, but also, like, sure. people don't need to read it because it's very lovely and Thank profound. You. So I, I don't want you to feel like you have to give too much away because I right. want to right, like, right. keep people intrigued. Um, but... For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So so you went to, you lived on a boat shortly after that. Is that what happened next? Yeah, there's, and I, I like that you said I because I, I like to keep it mysterious too, and, and not you know over yeah. over over talk about what's in, uh, the thing. But yes, I lived on a boat, and there, as you probably can relate to, in in one's life, there's so many different chapters, quote unquote, you can pick from. Right. And I always tried to pick ones. I tried to pick ones that I thought had those stories within stories, mm-hmm. you know, as best as I could. Right. And I got some amazing feedback from some close friends because I gave early versions to some of them and they were like, where's this going? What's this about? You know, like, okay, God, I need to, I need to clean this up, you know, but the, yes, lived on a boat right after college. And that was another um, kind of a, a, a big moment of what the hell am I doing? Let's okay. Who cares? Let's have an adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, I had a lot of friends that were getting like uh, going, going to work for Deloitte and Touche. Right. making a hundred thousand dollars at yeah. age 23 and I'm showing up to a boat <laughs> that's broken, which I loved. And with my buddy, Mike Warren, who is also a, uh, a, an author and a songwriter. Uh, he lives in Italy and, 
so yes, lived on a boat and it was a magical year. It's still there. That, that community is still there. Wow. And it blows me away because everything around it is just totally developed. But this little plot of land, I mean, it's got a few, like two or three warehouses and then the dock, mm-hmm. but it's just there. And, and I, 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 it blows me away that it's still there with all the threats of gentrification. Wow. So I feel like it's this wonderful little secret. And I, I would like to throw this in if I can, without spoiling anything about sure. uh, yeah. that. It's called The Boat Days, the story. But the one thing I kind of wished I threw in there, I thought about it and then I didn't. But now it's like a secret, fun thing to toss out into the world is for those who are sports fans at Pac Bell Park, which I think is called something else now, what did San Francisco Giants play? Mm-hmm. In the in the in the um, left field above the bleachers, there's a gigantic mitt, like a, a, a made out of metal, a, a catcher's mitt, right? It's like 30 feet tall, 20 feet wide. It's gigantic, right? It was being built right next to the dock the whole time that we were living there. And so every time there's a home run, it goes in that direction, and you see the glove. <laughs> it's been there for 20 years. Everybody knows about this glove, right? Yeah. And so we were walking past, uh, coming back from the sea breeze with Mimi and Tony, the, uh, the, the couple that ran this cafe by the water, they were always angry and yelling at each other. Um, it was hilarious, but always intense, but we were walking back and we saw this, it was a group of women. It was actually an all female crew and they, uh, they had white jumpsuits and they were working on some sculpture looking thing. It didn't look like a mitt at the time. Mm-hmm. And then one day it got shipped off and we were like, what was that? They're like, that's the new mitt that's going to go in the left field behind the bleachers of Pac Bell Park. We're like, what? So if you ever go to a baseball game to see the Giants, the mitt was built right next to our boat, basically. Mm-hmm. And there's a little side flight. And they, sh- <laughs> and they put their bras. This is a, we've learned this later. All the women on the crew put their bras into each finger of the mitt. Oh, wow. So there's some so some folklore there. Some, some ritual going on. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's a. What is the okay? So so if we could like have like a tagline for the boat days. <laughs> okay, a tagline. Sure. What would it be? Yeah. What would it be? Okay, the tagline would be. I mean, uh, I don't know if this will make a sentence as I say it, but living with a bunch of weird characters while trying to find myself uh-huh. along the water. Yeah, and what did you find along the water? I found out that I, I, like, to, uh, I like to be adventurous and try different experiences and I'm not afraid to move into like young adulthood, taking risks and trying things. But I also found that I was a bit of a stress case. I was a bit of a neurotic person. Um, I was a bit impulsive. I was a little bit angry, mm-hmm. again, without not being settled as a, as a you know, with myself or identity um, about where I was going. The sexuality thing was still bubbling. And it was like, and I, and I kept making it a bigger issue than it needed to be. So there's a, not, not to spoil anything, but you know, there, there's a, there's a scene in a movie theater where I get into a fist fight with a guy. Right. Um, and it, it was totally unnecessary and, I would never put that in there to act like tough guy. And hopefully it came across as it was something, it was, it was basically me exploding unnecessarily on a stranger 
because I was so uh, unsure of myself as a person and in my life's direction. Right. You know what I mean? I just on a boat. What am I going to do? What job am I going to do? I was a waiter, you know? Um, so that, that would be the tagline living with fun, weird characters while trying to find myself, you know, is, would be the botes, you know? It seems like that's the theme that is threaded throughout all the stories as you finding yourself. Yes, and for sure. I don't know. I, I'm I'm very much like that. I'm I'm yeah. very like driven by becoming like the highest version of myself. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know that the average person <laughs> also operates that way. Right. Well, maybe, uh, maybe they do, but like not in the way that we like to. Right. Right. Well, I think I think we're we're of a tribe, like me and you and our friends, the people mm-hmm. that we love and that we know. We're all on the same frequency. Mm-hmm. We're 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 all uh, for the most part we're all a little bit crazy, right? right? Yeah. A little bit. You don't want too much crazy. No. Uh, I've definitely been accused of that, but I think I've, I'm becoming more sane uh, as I get older, I would call it excitable. That's what I told you before. <laughs> like I'm excitable. Okay. But, uh, no, but I think we all understand each other. I think a lot of people live, um, quietly, modestly. They, you know, they work their jobs, they raise their families and that's a beautiful thing for them. That's what they want to do. And they have their moments of joy and struggle. And I'm not being condescending by 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 framing it that way and I, and I used to be judgmental of that kind of life yeah uh when I was younger but now I'm like hey it brings them peace it's what they it's what they like and me and you and other people like and Chase White and you know Adam <laughs> Labov and these amazing people that we know we're all doing different fun weird things we're just trying different things mm-hmm. and and we're, and we're reuniting as much as we can and excitedly exchanging things that's just the way I prefer to live. Yeah. Um, because we're not going to be here much longer, you know, because we're all going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is a whole other podcast. There, but, yes, uh, is totally right. Um, there also seems to be a water theme. Um, in ooh, I like it. Yeah. Okay. Don't you, don't you think so? Like, I feel well, like. Can you please talk about that? Oh, like, now I'm intrigued. I feel like each location that you describe in your stories mm-hmm. like each location is has like water associated to it i feel like you're, you're totally you, wow seriously that's tripping me out that's because i'm thinking about i'm thinking about um mediterranean right mm-hmm. the boat days yes. echo park lake yes uh hollenbeck park has a lake mm-hmm. um so around boyle heights there's a yeah. lake um, the Depression One Spring Lake yes. with me and my dad. Yes. Wow. And Cuba, the water. Uh-huh. Water. Wow. And, and the surfer guy in Mexico. And the yeah. surfer guy, that's that's Acumal. Mm-hmm. And of course, Tulum. There was some Tulum right before that. But then on the, yeah. the other one was Cancun, mm-hmm. which I called my nemesis. I, I still consider it my nemesis. But yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but um did you have a senior trip, by the way? Did you did you did you do that? Did you ever go to Mexico? No. Your senior trip? Okay. No, I was I was too involved in acting and theater and okay that kind of life. But right, yeah. But uh, that's cool. I I never thought of never thought of that. That's very cool. 
Because, the water thing. Because you're a Scorpio too. I'll break this down. Yes, I am. So why am I why am I putting water you're subliminally? A, you're a water sign, so like it helps you to water helps you to access and understand your emotions. I think. Uh, wow. And so, I feel like you're naturally drawn to it. Um, I, I I love I, I, I'm yes. I love water. I love the beach. I love diving in the ocean whenever mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. Is that to quench the fire within that I that I Probably. that I have a I mean I Scorpios to, are fiery people. I would have to like look at your chart. Sure. Also, but like Scorpios also like have a lot of darkness too within them that is hidden yes, we often, do. and so like that makes sense. Not to get into astrology, yeah. but like, no. <laughs> hey, we had to go there. I love. I had to go. You there. made me that. I was hoping, actually, casually hoping that that. I, and I knew this would happen, that you would like help help me think about what I did in a different way. You know what I mean? I'm not kidding. Like that. And that you just did that, which is awesome. Well, that's good. Um, um, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of like, I hope that the, the interviewees get out something from the podcast too. Like, I, totally. I want this to be like a healing experience for everyone. So. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm already there. I'm, I'm locked and loaded. Like here, yeah. we're still going. I love it. Right. <laughs> okay. Was that so, t- was that line from Top Gun? I'm sorry. Locked <laughs> and loaded. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to get to LA. Yeah. Because I feel like that's a very like prominent part of your story in your life. Yes. Um, I, I, yep. Yep. And so you were here working your chess job, right? I was doing. I was teaching chess <laughs> at elementary schools. But I was also, because I just think it's funny to, to mention, I was also one of those, um, um, what do they call it? The uh, focus groups. I was a oh. focus group guy. Okay. But they pay, you know, $200, $300 for dumb things. Like for, for the packaging, for your feedback about a right. package of White Castle cheeseburgers. Wow. You know? yeah. And you leave with a $300 check. So okay. I did that. I did Italian tutoring at local colleges, USC, and then I taught chess, yes. And and you were working on your music stuff too. Always recording, always playing, playing around downtown, not really into the Hollywood scene or trying to do that, but more like duo gigs with my friend Tato and or a band thing occasionally. But yeah. yes, always, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So did you have like um like a goal for being in Los Angeles and working on music? Did you have something you well finding yourself definitely I, okay but okay so la you're doing music like a lot of people are chasing you know to get ahead or like be seen and there's a certain mm-hmm. freedom that occurs when you allow yourself to not worry about that and just focus on your art and your craft right right mm-hmm. well i would say that that's no, a good question because i i fall into this group of millions of people that do this and i don't uh, i don't regret it of course is I went to LA uh, and didn't know exactly what I was, why I was there. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, first and foremost, I was pursuing music and I loved songwriting and I loved it at the time and was recording and performing. So I wasn't just a dreamer on a couch mm-hmm. playing my acoustic songs. Like right. we were performing. I was meeting some people that were fairly connected. Right. Um, there was a moment I'm going to, I'm going to just name drop this cause why not? But there was like a collaboration with, um, a guy named Daniel Lupi, 
who does a lot of strings for Broken Bells um, and uh, Dan- Danger Mouse. He works with Danger Mouse a lot. He likes some of my songs. So we were sharing files. I mean, so there was momentum happening um, creatively. Mm-hmm. And so I was there basically for music, but on, on other and trying to see if that would things were kind of moving in cool directions. There was some licensing going on. My songs got into a couple commercials, you know, minor stuff. Yeah. But there was there was some momentum. So I was yeah. it was something. And but I also just to be on the flip side, there was also the deep search of like, you know, I you know, who am I I want to be in love. I want to have a right. fulfilling life and a job and where am I going to live? And like, you know, just, just, just life questions. So, but I was also just kind of cruising along, seeing if music would take me to a different place, mm-hmm. but all, always meeting people, meeting people that, like we know, Chase and Adam and, um, and Tato. And I have a huge group of friends in LA and still do. And I'm blessed to have them as friends. And, and it, for me, it was about making friends, pursuing music, paying the rent, seeing where it would lead which is not exactly totally responsible you know what i mean it's kind of a you're kind of winging it a bit i'm winging it even though i had talent musically um so i'm not winging that that's like a real pursuit i was winging the direction of my life which is always a bit which is always a bit dangerous i think um i don't know i mean it's because la can here's what i would i want to add la can i love la but it can trick you into thinking that you need to be in LA right. to be productive or important or considered worthy or something. And we all know now, me and you were talking about this, you don't need to be in LA to do those things. You can be anywhere. So I think yeah. I was convincing myself that I needed to be there, even though I was enjoying being there. Right. I lived in Echo Park, lived in Boyle Heights, and I met a lot of friends and and I will always go back. So hope does that answer your question for why I was there? Yeah, um, okay. but I, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because um, okay. the, the way that you operate in your life of just like accepting experiences as they come and recognizing the beauty of them as they are, like that's a, a really lovely way to live. Right. And so you weren't just like floundering around like, you know, I don't know right. like who I am. You're right. Like you're actively like seeking to find yourself. I think you're right. I think that's me just, that's, there's remnants of self-punishment coming through right now. Yeah, and um, also- You know what yeah, I mean? About yeah. judging myself. Yeah, and um, also, let's talk, I wanna talk about like the romantic like portions. Sure. Because I feel like there's a theme there too. And it's- Okay, tell me the theme, I want I want your- <laughs> It's It seems like you are able to- appreciate connecting with a person in the moment without necessarily worrying so much of what it's going to become in the future and really like surrendering to that which is not something that is easy Mm -hmm. or that most people would choose to explore right and i can relate to that like i understand yeah and so i feel like that's why i felt so connected i feel like we're connected on like levels that I can't even really explain or describe to you mm-hmm. by reading your book. I love that. Um, but yeah, do you want to speak on that? I do. No, no. I was, I was ta- once I was taking that in because it made me once again think of this in a different way. 
And I love that. Um, yes, I would say that being a fairly social slash neurotic person, as I have been in the past, I'm less so now. Um, my only solace from myself was to find tenderness with another person mm-hmm. that wouldn't that would just be with me because they want to be with me, right? you know, in the moment. And I wasn't necessarily pursuing that. And I, you know, I was always open to things, but I was never actively running around looking for things. But if somebody was attracted to me or liked me and they were giving me that vibe and I liked them back, like I knew there, that was like safe Harbor, Mm -hmm. you know, and that I had to explore that, be with that person talk to that person, be romantic with that person. Right. Right. Because it would, it would, it would heal my soul and make me feel safe and inspired, you know? And I, so I agree with you. I think I'm learning how to, and I, and now I'm trying to apply it to right now. um, And it's hard to self-analyze, but, is I, there doesn't need to be an island. It can be everywhere, you know, all the time. And there's, 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 you don't need to run off somewhere to do something with somebody. And, and I, and I used to always do that. Um, Can you relate to that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) um, I mean, I had, I used to have wanderlust. Yeah. um, Yeah. So badly that I would ache. Wow. And it would cause me to do crazy things. Like I would watch a movie that had Italy in it and I would the next day book like a spontaneous trip and go there like right away because I Oh my God. Like <laughs> Wow. Okay. Like so but but I learned that I don't have to go somewhere else to do that because I can find all that stuff within me. Yeah. And once yeah. I turned that around, that was like life change. Yeah, you are you are the destination. Yeah, that, like you don't right. have to like go to a foreign land. Totally. To travel, right? Or find yourself, or you don't need, or, or perhaps you don't need to spend, you know, five thousand dollars on some philosophical religious program, right? To teach you something, right? But it it takes bravery and courage to right. get to the point to be able to do that, just like it does to like go off um, somewhere and explore on your own. Right, right. Um, so we're, I mean, there's many ways we're connected like that. And I'm, that's cool to learn that that resonated with you, that kind of idea of, of uh, the safe harbor or whatever you want to call it with someone else or right romantically. Does that, yeah. did you also say that you had a similar experience <laughs> or not? Um, romantically? Not, I don't know. I'm putting words in your mouth. Sorry. <sighs> romantically? Oh, geez. Oh, I can. <laughs> I mean, a I different can, podcast? I'll just speak freely, but... Sure. I feel like I appreciate experiences for them in the moment more than yeah. most people. And I can, like, isolate this experience and be like, hey, like, this is an experience that I'm having and I don't have to, like, be depressed about it when it doesn't ex- extend into something else. Mm-hmm. Or I don't have to overanalyze it, even though I'm a very overanalytical person, as are you, which yes. I find that's really interesting that we're able 
to like have these experiences and allow them to be mm -hmm. while being completely over analytical in other ways. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, I, I'm surprised by myself about that. That I'm, I'm a like, I'm kind of rephrasing what you're saying. Totally open in the moment person, totally neurotic Woody Allen mindset <laughs> about everything without the weird allegations, but right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, like it's almost like a, it's almost like an Owen Wilson vibe with a Woody Allen brain. Yeah, so you know? it's very interesting. Yeah, very complex beings. We are, we are, but we're, but we're moving down the road together. We'll get to the promised land. <laughs> um, yes, I I think talking about depression and is really important actually so if we want to focus on there a little bit oh, um, absolutely so when was the first time that you encountered depression do you remember well, like um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's something that i've experienced like even as a child yeah, but, yeah. like but i couldn't express it because i didn't understand it i was just like super like sad and right just distanced myself from everyone so yeah and it's something that like wasn't as openly talked about. So I feel like it was probably similar in your case. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, I mean, uh, this is one of those, I'm ref I, I know we're both instinctive people. So a, a, a visual came in my mind right away when you asked it and it made me uncomfortable. That's why I'm gonna say it, okay. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, well, I know that I, I would say junior high, T junior high age bracket time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never put those words together like that, but um, <laughs> no, I, I would, I started to feel some, 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 um, some darkness, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, it was pronounced. It was pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah. But I was also very social. I know this is typical of many people, maybe even you, I'm a very social person and I've been my whole life. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say life to the party, but I'm always wanting to project a social fun guy persona, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was well-intentioned, but it was also masking a lot of like deeper, darker stuff. So to answer your question, I would, I would sit in the shower a lot. I would, I would actually be so exhausted by my own weight of whatever I was cranking on in my soul and my mind that I would just yeah. sit down in the shower, which I'm sure many people do. And I would, you know, bow my head and just let the water hit me and, and, I, and take like a 20 minute shower, you know, and it was, and it, it would be and when it, when time, when it got hard, meaning like when, when there were periods of difficulty right. um, that were self-created within my own mind, it would actually be challenging to just stand in the shower, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I would literally just have to sit and it would make me feel better to, to some degree. Can you relate to that? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Especially during that time period. But I didn't bother really to project some kind of personality. Um, okay. <laughs> That's good. You were more healthy. You were, you were, you were at one with it. I also like went to a Catholic school and um, it, it, we don't need to go into all of that, but um, sure. I'm sure there's some stories there. I'm <laughs> I'm trying to like make this connection to the inner voice and depression because yeah. like like during 
during that time, I know that I felt trapped in like not being able to express who I really was in my environment. And I feel like yeah. that was a lot of where I was coming from because I didn't know how to like be me. Yeah. So is that kind of along the lines of like what was bringing you to that place or was like you're so you're saying you you were feeling that way because you didn't know how to be your authentic self at the time Yeah, or I couldn't express it or I didn't feel safe enough to express it or I wasn't allowed to express it. Yeah, I, I think with me, I mean, because I, I think with me, it was sexuality. It was I was sexually active with some guys my age at the time. And um, and I, I, I didn't feel like it was wrong, but I knew that it was not something that we're going to be talking about or like open about or like, you know what I'm saying? So then yeah. I started to think about, OK, this is part of me and it, it's not wrong, but you but it's hard to, uh, you know, it's hard to contextualize it within right. your own life at that yeah. age. And we're talking not that it's, you know, I'm saying, you know, late 80s, whatever. So it was more like me stuffing it inside and thinking, am I, am I, am I, am I too, am I scared? Am I too scared? Am I, not, you know, or is it wrong? Or, you know, all these questions. Mm-hmm. And of course, none of it's wrong and, and, and it shouldn't feel scary and all that stuff. But I think that was the main thing. But I also think not just the sexuality, it was more, I knew I wasn't what people thought I was. I wasn't a flat topped black basketball player. Mm. You know, if anything, I should have been a long-haired theater guy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Let me let me <laughs> ask early. Let me ask you this question because sure, it, it might. It, I don't think it's off topic, but okay. I feel like it kind of like relates to like where I was during that time. So maybe you'll relate to it too. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that anyone ever saw you on like a soul level? Whoa. Okay. That's a, that's a deep question. Saw me on a soul level. Like they they saw exactly who I am. Because like they didn't see you as the person that you were projecting to be. And so it's hard to go back to that projection when someone has seen you on the different level. And then, yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, in the moment, there's not a crystallized moment of that in my childhood or something, but I feel like during the Bologna year, mm-hmm. there were moments, a few moments with, with various people where we were like, we understood each other. Right. Like we knew yeah. who we were, what was mm-hmm. happening, where we're going. You know, we finally understood each other um, and that and, and all our complexities, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so but that, I don't think I don't recall that. I mean, my cousin, Kirsten is her name. She's very eclectic artistic photographer person she always kind of knew that i was more of an artist than a sports guy you know um and i and i so actually i'm gonna i'll 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 cite her in this like since i was a little kid she always um recognized that i just was on a different path you know Mm -hmm. and i think or that i had the capacity to live a different life, a different kind of life than the one I was growing up in, you know? Um, and I always appreciated her for nurturing that, you know, nur- she would also, I should have brought her up with the cultural stuff before, but that that's the daughter of my aunt and uncle, by the okay. way, yeah. um, that I mentioned before. She would, she introduced me to the, you know, the Pixies and, you know, uh, the replacements and just cool bands, you know, right. from the eighties. And um, that was huge. So, I would say she recognized it 
from an early age and people my age in Bologna recognized, we recognized each other. The scene in which you were at the restaurant with your family on your birthday. <laughs> yes. Okay. Like, it was so, like, I could see. It was very cinematic in my head. <laughs> I'm glad. And I feel like the way that you wrote, I could just, like, visualize everything. And it's probably because I know you. Yeah. Maybe, but also, like, you're, you're very talented in being able to paint a picture of the scene. Thank you. Thank you. But did you, can I ask you this? Did you feel, and I'm not, I'm not asking for, I'm not, like, searching for whatever. Did you feel that that fit the... The, the depression, I, here's, here's what I thought, not that you asked the, this question, but the depression section story essay is very dark and heavy with some levity in there too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, some levity inside the psych ward and this and that. Right. But I also wanted it to uh, have a, like a fun scene that was serious, which happened chronologically in the same time. Did you just feel like it fit or were you like, yeah. why is this, why is this wacky choking on steak scene in this? Or did you feel like it fit? I felt it very deeply. I, I understood. Okay. I understood why you put it in there. Okay. Um, because I could put myself into <laughs> your place at that time and what you must have been feeling. <laughs> right. Um, right. Right. Just like not even being able to like eat a piece of steak properly. <laughs> like, That's exactly my point. Cause I was trying like, to be, I was trying to be like, I was just trying to go with the flow and for the evening, keep my right. head down. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was the opposite. Because, you know? because it, it really highlighted the struggle of just being sometimes. Right. Right. <laughs> like just eating a goddamn piece of steak. Right. Just like being <laughs> and survival, yeah. And like so, also, yeah. <laughs> also the added like stress of it being your birthday and like probably feeling like some kind of expectation to like be present right. in a specific way. <laughs> totally. That was probably yes. one of my favorite moments, yeah, in the book. Wow. It was so real and raw and like I could like slip into that and I totally feel, yeah. I'm so, I'm so happy you say that because I'm, I'm like I'm, obviously confident with what I put out there, but you know, you start to think like, did that contextually work, blah, 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 blah. Just the Woody Allen brain again. But, but I love again, what you're saying about how I was just trying to be under the radar mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, and it blows up into the biggest scene imaginable <laughs> in a restaurant. <laughs> and then I'm the focus of everything and everybody, you know what I mean? It's like, right. it's like <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you got I'm glad you connected with that. And now, now that was that was after the the Alexander Payne thing. Right. And I didn't know not to get ahead of myself, but I know that you we talked about that in the pool. We did in Joshua Tree. No, and I love that. You were you were into it. Yeah. It's a very fabulous story of synchronicity too, which is also a theme that I love. So whatever you would like to share within that you're welcome to it's a fabulous story so thank you i feel like it's very symbolic of the way that you live your life wow i, I agree with you i think to me it's one of the i'm glad I, I i think if i had to pick one story that i thought was the core story i think it's that one i think so too yeah 
um, and uh, synchronicity, which you, which you, we've talked about and we connect with, but, and I won't give too much away. Cause I think that's a story that's kind of fun to discover mm-hmm. on its own. Yeah. But I do, I, I will say though, that as time has passed from, from living it and then writing it and um, revising it and whatever, and now it's, it's out in the world is that, is that I kind of see it now as I definitely feel there was synchronicity in that um, connection. And if, if, if some, you know, if, if you have, if the, your listener has not read the book and I don't imagine they have yet because they're listening to this now um, is I serendipitously met a film director, Alexander Payne, who directed sideways and many other films about Schmidt and the descendants. And he's filming a new movie with Paul Giamatti right now, as a matter of fact, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think I now see it less as, oh my God, it was so meant to be that I met him and we were on the same track and all that. And uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that I, I see it less as this explosive synchronistic thing and more, it, it, it kind of uh, is more tied into what he said at the end of our conversation, which is in, in the story, where he said, you know, I like to think that maybe that's what's going on here, that there's a deeper right. cosmic connection. Yeah. Because there, there may or may not have been, but at the same time, mathematically and, <laughs> and just odds-wise for that to, ha- to have happened, for me to meet yeah. him. Mm-hmm. was is still crazy to me i was supposed to meet him right. and and not to be a weirdo fan and i wasn't a weirdo fan and we are technically once a year texting friends but it's it's been going on for you know 10 years or so and i'm, I'm blessed to say i know the guy um but you never know maybe we will have a creative connection in the future i mean i sent him my i sent him the book um a couple days ago as a matter of it was a christmas present so he's already read he read the he read the essay and um and i guess i'm humble bragging here but he said it was three words he said i loved it nice so so he loved it and and uh i was excited i'm excited about that story yeah 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 or or it opened up like a, a way of living more confidently in the way that you live if that makes sense yeah well, that's cool that you got that sense because at the end I was like, what am I, what, what did you take away from that? And I thought, well, I'm more engaged with life. I, my radar is more tuned to everything than it was before. Yeah. You trust yourself more. Yes. Yeah. And like the things that are happening around us. Right. At all times. It's, so, like, a, it's like a symphony. It's totally, it's overwhelming if you let it get to be so, but it's because there's always information and there's always people trying to tell you things that you need to hear, right? And they might not even know why they're telling you that. I mean, it's just like, we're alive here now and it's happening in real time. So it's overwhelming, but it's exciting. Yes. I also love, this story is not in the book, but I love that your medallion is like... in that room <laughs> oh, i love it wait the, listen any listener needs to know my we we all a big group of us that are friends in la were in joshua tree and uh, i lost my medallion while swimming in this airbnb that our friend adam owns and i left it anyway my friend chase white 
um, and Whitney live in the same apartment in LA and they both, they Chase found the medallion and it's now in their apartment. So is it giving off some cosmic aura in there? Is it shining like a prism of uh, whatever? Well, I think there's a deeper story, and maybe we'll bring Chase okay. on. Uh, we'll, we'll bring Chase on the podcast someday. Yeah, and tell this story because it's pretty crazy how he he found it and he lost his bag, and he didn't realize the medallion was in it. And then, like, he was able to find the bag that was sitting on the beach for like hours and hours at night. Yeah, that, like, and nobody took that nobody in LA. Touched it. Yeah. So there's like a lot of like weird energy around that medallion. Yes, <laughs> it's obviously very special. So I love it. It is special. It's been everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of just brings everything full circle for me. Yes. The medallion is right here, and um we're speaking about your book. That's right. Yeah, what inspired you to write the book at this time? I think I think I realized, uh, well, I wanted to try a different like artistic medium. And I love writing, you know, there's a screenplay, I've written some short stories, but I've never put them out there. I was like, you actually have a story here about you that can be universal if you write it well. And my thought was, you have very, unique experiences in your life that are like fun, adventurous, crazy. Most people don't have those experiences. And the other half was you have an internal struggle that almost killed you. Like you Mm -hmm. almost took your own life due to your, due to your own neuroses, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I thought if you can write it in such a way where you can tell both stories in, in parallel or they can weave together and have it be fun and entertaining, mm-hmm. then it would be worth it. Yeah. You know, people would might enjoy it. And that's what I tried to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think you did that very beautifully. Um, Thank you. And effortlessly too. Wow. Because like your voice is very strong. Yeah. Like I told you before, um, your voice as a writer is very, you're like, you write almost as if you were, writing a screenplay in prose. I don't know if that makes sense. That's cool. No, I love that. Uh, Yeah. That's a huge compliment. It's very visual. It's very... um, Because I think with you, like you, many people could write books about their experiences Mm -hmm. and I I encourage everyone to do so. But I also thought like, don't, this is like, you're not well known. Don't be self-important. Like you only do this if you have a story or stories that, could benefit people quote unquote benefit you know like they could take something away from it like i feel like you have to some degree on on very subtle on a very subtle level you know like it sounds like you've resonated with it with some ideas that are sprinkled within it Mm -hmm. and that was totally my hope yeah you know and i love that because i would never want to do anything that was like trying to pound out a message about how to live a life you know well, also, so so I I narrate a lot of audiobooks for a living, and so I've probably narrated probably two hundred or so in the past year and a half. Wow! And so something that I learned by doing that is that no matter the elements of the story, there's always something of value within each one. Mm-hmm. There's always something to take away. So every story is valid. Mm-hmm. And so when you are sharing your story like there's definitely messages that are coming through 
So yeah. your experience is valid, even if like you didn't have a specific right. message that you were trying to right. tell universally, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I totally agree with you. Yes. I mean, if anything, the best, I don't know, not the best, but if I switch it over to like fiction, like what I like to read is I like it direct. I like it emotional, simple, like, and I, I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't like flowery. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I just resonate with that in terms of um, a writing style. And I don't know why I even said that. I just, I don't, I don't know why I said that because <laughs> he didn't ask me about my writing style, but I'm just saying, Oh, we're just talking about why we wrote what we, whatever. Yeah. What, you know. So like, yeah, please cut like, that. Please just cut that last part. That's no, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm just saying like, I feel like, I feel like just because you're you, your message yeah. and story is coming out. And like, even if you weren't so mindful about crafting it in this way, I feel like yeah. it probably would have happened organically probably you mean in terms of how i wrote it yeah 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 or maybe it did happen organically well i all i know is that with like like uh music with songwriting with me and with this book and i'm this is probably not too far off from any creative people that do whatever they do is at first it's just like complete instinctive openness about like what are you trying to say yeah Mm mm-hmm and then you're constantly steering it and steering it and steering it. And that's the whole, that's the, that's the process. That's the most challenging. That's, that's what makes anything good or bad. Right. Is if you're weathered to like, if, if you're able to steer it in the right direction. And I, yeah. and I, I was very conscious of that again with that Woody Allen brain, mm-hmm. like always like self-analyzing, like being a perfectionist about very instinctive organic mm-hmm. things yeah. you know what i mean Chiseling which is tricky right. yeah yeah but it's it's storytelling that, and that's what yes you, you're you're a storyteller and through your storytelling you're a healer too wow well, I'm, 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 I'm gonna yeah yeah now i'm gonna have a good day after this because i just yeah. you, you've taught me a lot and you're saying very nice things so because i, I feel it. like like even even within all the characters that you encountered within your stories yeah you kind of come in as like almost a silent healer because like you're you're giving something to everyone that is coming into contact with you as much as you're receiving from them and the experience of it with it within the stories you mean yeah it okay like, yeah it seems like like there's like an exchange there like you're giving them something that they need yeah and you're receiving something i think you're right i think i I agree with you i think there are a lot of there was a lot of quiet observation with a lot of these people even though i'm social too i think there was a lot of i i and with a lot of these stories i wasn't trying to push myself into everything necessarily i was kind of rolling rolling with people and going going with the flow yeah, you know? like even even in your conversation in the psych ward with the gentleman. Uh, yeah, you know, like yeah, the the Asian guy. Yeah, you're offering yeah. him like a bit. Of- yeah, yeah. I absolutely, and that, that was a big moment for me because I was so stuck in my own head, mm-hmm. and as anybody would be in that situation. But I mean, to to see a guy that, you know, he had a family. He tried to kill himself. You know, I didn't have either. I didn't try to kill myself or didn't have a family. 
right. of my own. So I'm like, this guy has it worse than me right now, dude. You know? So, and, uh, and I, and one of my favorite parts of that is the fact that, and it, it really, really, really is true. But that football game was happening at the exact moment, like the actual wardrobe malfunction thing. Yeah. Like it was just, I couldn't believe that this was like of all games. That's like one of those famous NFL games of all time, you know, but uh, I guess, it, I guess it happens with me, you know, like, of course I would be in a psych ward during that Super Bowl. you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you'll never forget it. I won't forget it. No. Yeah. All right. We could probably talk forever. We probably could. We might, but the peer, like the travel pyramid stuff is kind of a big part of it. And have a part two. I'm thinking part two on a different time. Absolutely. Because I feel like there's a lot of. There's a lot. There's a lot. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. The question I ask to wrap up the conversation. Yes. Is if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna need like I need a few seconds here. <laughs> if my inner voice had a billboard and I wanted to show that to the world, yeah, what would what would you say to the world if you had a um, billboard? Okay, all right. I need a few. I'm, you, you're probably gonna have to edit out some silence here. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, all right, let me think for a sec. Well, you so I'm gonna talk. Can I talk through it? I'm gonna talk through it yeah, a little bit, please. So this kind of I like the question. I think the potential answer can very likely lead to a cheesy uh, bumper sticker. Right. You know, just like Ram Dass stuff, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or this and that. I'm not invalidating that stuff. But I, I, I my first inclination is for it to be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, <laughs> my inner voice. Okay. All right. Okay. Wait, I think I got something. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to go with this. Totally in the moment. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's going to be one word. It's going to say, look, that's it. That's good. Do you like that? I like it. Yeah. Because at least when people are, would would look at it, pun intended, they would like, they, it weirds you out. Like it's a what? What? Mm-hmm. What? You know, yeah. just for a second. It's not super deep, but it's also weird. Right? But it's also very deep. Okay. What's your reaction to that? Just because I am I went with it now. What's your reaction to that? I, li- I like it. I think it, you like it. I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, how many people don't look? Many. Don't, don't even choose to look or know to look. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think we, I think we ended on a strong note here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, should I make, should I make t-shirts? Yeah. All right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to start doing it. That would be good. T-shirts with. Why not? Things, like billboard things. Okay. It's pretty cool. It's actually a pretty cool idea. Like your idea that is. Um, <laughs> But yeah. I, ha- I had a blast and I would love yeah. to, you mentioned maybe doing a part two. I would love yeah, to do that. I would love to do that. If people would like to read your book, where can we guide them to? Thank you for asking. They can, right now it's on Amazon and it's called Almost Weightless Essays on the Journey to Myself. And there's a longer subtitle, okay. but that's, that's all you got to search for now. Yeah. Well, I'll add the link into the show notes so people can just click on it. Thank you, Whitney. Very easily. I had a blast. Yeah. I I'm, sh- I'm sure I was a bit awkward, but you were, you knew you were going to get that. Awkward. You were fine. Okay.
Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.